little special story, but um, yeah. Ready? All right. Good morning, all. Welcome to Trinity Park. This is a beautiful day with a beautiful breeze to keep us all cool. We are so glad that you joined us. If this is your first time, especially, thank you for taking the time to find us, to bring a chair and join us. Uh, if you don't have a chair, we got plenty, so let us know. But we are so glad to have you here and, uh, and, and have this opportunity to worship with you. So um, we begin each service with a call to worship. And uh, today the call to worship is from Psalm 98, 1 through 4. It says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. So let's do that. Why don't you all stand as we sing this morning. Sing worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of every praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Sing it out Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you, we live for you. Sing holy. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are. And fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around sing worthy worthy of every song we could ever sing worthy of every praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you, Jesus Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save Sing worthy Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you, we live for you, sing holy, and holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, 
Open up our eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your love and lead me in your arms to those around me. I will build and I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation and I will put my trust. Sing it out. In you alone and I will not be. I will build and I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Worthy of every song we could ever sing You're worthy of all the praise we could ever bring You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Come thou fountain, come thou fountain, every blessing to my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Sung by flaming tongues above, praise the mountain, fixed upon it, a mount of God's redeeming love. Hitherto thy love has blessed me, and thou hast brought me to this place, and I know thy hand will lead me safely home by thy goodness. Jesus, Jesus sought me when a Wandering from the fold of God He to rescue me from danger Interposed His precious blood 
Oh, to grace. Oh, to grace, the greater debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a better, find my wandering heart to be prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart. And here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts. One more time. And here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Good morning, Trinity Park Church. You may be seated. My name is Andy Yu, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here at this church. I'm so glad to see all of you, especially those who are visiting us for the first time. Uh, welcome. So being the first Sunday of the month, uh, we come together as a church to... Oh, I'm going to let the train pass. As I was saying, being the first Sunday of the month, you know, we come together as a church to corporately confess together our faith. And this morning we're going to do so from the Apostles' Creed, this timeless creed that transcends, you know, um, history and time. And so let's do this together as, as a body of believers. Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we do so corporately, you know, there's also a time for you to right now silently, you know, individually come before the Lord to confess your own personal sins or perhaps even to reflect on these words. Let's take a brief moment to do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity for us to be here this morning. I thank you for 
an opportunity for us to gather together, to sing, to worship, and to pray. And Lord, even as we have just confessed our faith together as a body of believers, I thank you, Lord, for this timeless truth that unites, that, that unite our hearts together, that unite our confession together. As we, as we come together as a body, Lord, I thank you that there are no better truths than the Apostle Creed that reminds us of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, of our Father in Heaven, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for this timeless truth of our triune God that continues to, to lead over us, continue to rule over us, continue to guide us daily. I thank you for Jesus and what he has done on the cross for us. Lord, I thank you because of him, Lord, that we are here today, that we are able to sit where we are, united in fellowship, in confession, in our hearts together, in unity together as a body of believers, Lord. I thank you for that, and I pray to even as we do know as a body, Lord, that we do sin against each other, we do sin against you. And I pray for your forgiveness, I pray for your assurance. Lord, I pray for, Lord, your quick forgiveness to us, Lord, when we do come before you. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that solely because of Jesus. And so, Lord, even as we come before you this morning, I pray for all of us here, Lord, wherever, whatever struggles that we have, whatever situations that we're in, whatever emotions that we're carrying, and the baggages that we're carrying right now, I pray that we would be able to lay them before you, that we will be able to come before you as we confess it to you. And I pray, too, for your spirit, Lord, to assure us, to comfort us, and to lead us, Lord. We thank you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me assure you this morning as we read from Titus 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Praise God. This time we're going to transition to our offering here at Trinity Park. We're so grateful for your generosity and your tithes and your giving to, to the church and to the work of the church. So if you are new to a church, you can give online um, through, our, through our online giving. But at the same time, if you're here, you know, if you want to uh, drop something on the box, we have a box right in front next to the camera too. So thank you. Amen. As we kind of move from confession, as we move in the service towards the Lord's Supper, is is the perfect rhythm of grace. Moving from confession to to coming to the altar, and this song is is, is a favorite of mine, and it it has a sort of tender open feel that I think is very appropriate in this moment. As we know, as we face our sin, face our what's in our hearts, knowing that as we come to the altar, Jesus is there meeting us. Um, with, with open arms. So sing that with us. Y'all can stand up if you like.
Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Rachel Gardner. For those of you who do not know me, I have been helping out with a youth group for almost two years now. This is Annie Jurek. She's one of our wonderful, wonderful students here. We are excited to talk about the youth group kickoff that's happening on Wednesday at 6 p.m. It will be here at the church parking lot. Both the middle school and high school students um, will be here, but we will be meeting separately. Um, we're really excited about it. Annie's going to share a little bit about what we'll be doing and some things that she enjoys about youth group. Hello, um, my name is Annie. At the youth group, we're going to do like pizza and s'mores and some barn bonfires. And I really enjoy youth group because we get to meet friends and learn about God. And it's a really fun time. So if you guys could come, I really hope you will. Yeah, so as Annie said, we will have dinner provided for this Wednesday. Um, for the semester, we'll be going through something called um, the Gospel-Centered Life for Teens. So parents, if you haven't bought that yet for your students, if you could please do so. And if um, there are any financial needs, you can talk to Corey or Andy. They'd love to help you out with that. And leaders, we have the leader's guide here. Um, actually, Andy has it, I think. So if you can just um, get with him before you leave today to have that to prepare. Um, for the coming weeks, that would be awesome. Um, as Annie said, we'll have some little bonfire pits. We um, will mostly just be doing a time of fellowship and hanging out, playing games, and then we'll split up into small groups and um, just do some get to know yous, catch back up from the summer, and pray together. So yeah, if y'all could come out on Wednesday, that would be awesome. We are really looking forward to it. Thanks. <laughs> That was awesome. Um, I'm just going to make a brief announcement. So this Tuesday night coming up this week at 6.30 p.m. right here, we're going to have a joint worship service with our sister church, one of our sister churches, Mount Zion Church. Uh, we're going to have a joint time of worship and prayer. The worship team will be Joe and Spence, their worship leader, and some other folks from our church and their church together. We'll sing a lot of songs. We're also going to have four different times of prayer. Two of those times will be led by their uh, leaders from their church and two from ours, and we're going to try to have this service and be about an hour, and the idea would be uh, not that we want to really limit prayer and worship, but that we could all hang out afterwards and get to know each other. Actually, the last prayer time, which will be led by someone from our church, will be a time of supplication, and we're going to gather, we're going to ask you to gather with folks from Mount Zion and kind of split up between our church and their church, have a time of getting to know one another and praying together which will hopefully spill over into time in the parking lot when you can get to know one, another's, uh, one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I really want to encourage you to come out. I'm super excited about this, I'm excited about uh, continuing to develop our relationship with Mount Zion Church, and I hope you can carve out time on a Tuesday night at 6.30 to come here and join us. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again, Lord, I thank you for our triune God. I thank you for the amazing goodness and kindness that you've shown to us as your people, Lord. I thank you, too, that it is through grace alone, grace alone that you've extended to us, that we are here, that we have life, that we, that we see forgiveness, Lord. And Lord, I thank you it is grace alone Lord, that we are able to call you Abba Father, that we are sons and daughters in the Lord. 
and brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I thank you that, Lord, you would help us, Lord, to never forget the grace that you've extended to us, Lord, the grace that you have shown to us, grace that, that we do not deserve in any way because there is no ounce of righteousness in us. There's no ounce of good works in us. There's no ounce of, of any kind of abilities in us that we're able to please you with unless you have done something in our hearts, unless you have saved us, Lord, through Jesus Christ himself, and that, that you have given us his righteousness. And only through that, that we are now able to, to do good works, that we're able to, to use our abilities to praise you and to glorify you. And so I thank you for grace, the grace that you've extended to us. I pray that you help us even to continue to live in grace. Lord, this morning I'm excited as, as Corey will be preaching to us from this great passage from Ephesians 2. On the grace of God, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember this, this timeless truth from the Bible. To know that this grace is a gift of God. And to know too, even as believers in Christ, Lord, as recipients of grace, that we will learn how to live in grace. That not only have we received grace from you, but you have called us also to live in grace with each other with people who are different from us, with people who may not share our views, with people who may not be part of our fellowship, with people who look different from us. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to extend grace to those that we don't think deserve it because we ourselves do not deserve it in the first place. I pray that you, learn, you help us to extend grace to our family members who may have wronged us. I pray that you help us to extend grace to our colleagues, to our friends, people who have wronged us, people who have, who have hated us. I pray that you help us to extend grace to them, to learn how to forgive, learn how to live together, learn how to agree to disagree, learn how to live in fellowship despite of our differences. Lord, give us grace. Help us to live in grace. Help us to follow your grace. And Lord, even as we think about that, I thank you this morning too for um, Whitney Thomas. Lord, I thank you for her safe delivery. I thank you for Ava Grace, who was born a few days ago. And even, Lord, as I, as, as I think about this birth, Lord, there were some complications, but at the same time, I thank you for, for your mercy and your grace towards the Thomas family, Lord, as you preserve them, as you preserve baby Ava, and as you continue to strengthen Whitney, I pray and thank you for, for their safety. I thank you for even quick recovery for Whitney. I pray too for Corey as he continues to care for his family, as he leads his family. I thank you for this family, Lord, who are new to our church, but at the same time, Lord, I pray for us as a congregation, as a body, Lord, that we'll learn how to care for them and learn how to support them. I pray, too, for uh, the Laws family, Sarah and Evan Law, too, even as Sarah is about to um, give birth to another baby, Lord, I pray for 
you to be with her even in this crucial moment, crucial time, Lord, as they, as they wait. I pray for you to strengthen Sarah as she's um, really pregnant and at the same time having to care you know, for Lucy and having to care for Evan too, who is still recovering from his surgery. Just pray too, Lord, for grace upon them. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity this Tuesday to worship with Mount Zion. I thank you, Lord, for, for the brotherhood that we have, you know, as, as you have, you know, clearly spoken to us how good it is for believers to dwell together, for brothers to unite together in hearts and fellowship and singing. Lord, as we read from Psalm 133, how good it is for brothers and sisters who, who are from different denominations to come together, to worship, to praise God together, to pray together. What a beautiful and glorious opportunity for us to, to display Christian unity and what that looks like today. I pray too, even for us as we gather together, I pray for good weather. I pray for all of us to be able to come together to support, to fellowship with each other. I pray too that this will be a great testament of what perhaps a glimpse of what Christian unity looks like for others to see. And I pray that in a divisive world, in a chaotic world that we live in today, Lord, that, that believers can stand together in unity to display this spirit of working together, this spirit of living together. I pray that we will just be able to display love for each other as we come together. Lord, I thank you too for the ministries that are kicking off as well. You know, those, those that have started with some of the community groups that have started in the past uh, few weeks or so. I pray too, Lord, as, as people are continuously being enfolded to our church, I pray, Lord, for, for some of our visitors, some of our new members, Lord, that they would have an opportunity to be enfolded into the community of our church. I pray too that everyone who comes to our church will be able to find community will be able to find people that they can, they can trust, people that they, who can share love with, and who can share burdens with, whom, people whom they can pray for as well as being prayed for. I pray for opportunity for them to, for their kids too, to be able to plug in with other kids, to be able to enjoy life together, to be able to enjoy fellowship together. I thank you for community groups that, are, that have started, and I pray for the other community groups that are starting soon. I just pray, Lord, that as uh, the leaders go through all the preparation and all the details, I pray that you would help them, Lord, to be able to carry it out and, and to start a group well with people being plugged into the groups. I pray for youth group too as, um, as we're starting this week. I pray even with the loss of Drew, I thank you for the families that have, have sued up, that have volunteered to, to, to help in youth group I thank you for all the volunteers, family members, men and women who have come together to care for our children, to care for the youth, to care for our students, to want to lead them, to want to disciple them. Thank you for these volunteers, and I pray to you even as we are starting this Wednesday. I pray for a good turnout. I pray for a good weather again. I pray to you, Lord, you know, that these students that are coming together, perhaps they're new or some who are older, uh, who have been longer in the church, I pray, Lord, for a spirit of fellowship that they can find, and spirit of community they can find, and friendship that they can find 
as they meet new people, as they learn to do life together as a community of students. I pray too for a men's and women's ministry and Bible study too that, that we're still planning and, and working some, some details that we're starting soon. I just pray too for all the leaders, you know, as they continue to work out the last minute details, I pray for, you know, that, that we'll be able to carry it out and, and just be able to have another opportunity for men and women to be able to fellowship among each other, Lord. And Lord, too, I pray for our building, Lord, as we continue to wait for the completion of this place, Lord. You know, as, as we think about the opportunities that this building affords us, Lord, I thank you for your providence, first of all. And I know, too, even as a church, that we, that as a church for about 11 years, that we have never owned a building, never, well, never have a building. Lord, I pray that you help us to learn what it means to worship together in a building, what it means to have more of a home base right now as we think about the ministries that we can do within our communities, think about opportunities that we can extend to our neighbors. Just pray, Lord, that you help us to learn how to do that well at the same time even as we think about what it's like to transition inside the building or to slowly transition inside a building. I pray for opportunities for us to learn how to do that well. Pray for patience and grace um, for our leaders as they think about all the details and what it looks like. I pray too for the ministries that we're thinking about starting back up too. I just ask for grace as we learn how to worship together again in, in perhaps a more unfamiliar settings. I pray too for those who are a little, who are still feeling uncomfortable in worshiping together inside. I just pray too, Lord, that you help us in a spirit of, of uh, brotherhood and sisterhood that will be able to support each other well, that we'll learn how to extend grace to each other, learn how to, to care for each other, learn how to humble ourselves to live, in hum to live in community with each other, Lord, that we will be able to extend grace to each other without um, any sort of prejudice, without any sort of, of uh, pride or arrogance towards where we believe and where we stand on, on certain issues. I thank you for that. And again, Lord, I thank you for the word that's being preached this morning too. I pray even for Esther as she comes up to, to read scripture. I pray that you give her the grace and the power as she reads scripture to us powerfully. I pray too for Corey as he preaches to us, Lord, that you would use him. Lord, use him mightily. I thank you and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's scripture is from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Well, before I get going here, um, I just want to make sure everybody knows that this week, so Andy uh, produced a video that featured four families from our church. Uh, the, the theme was around something that Andy prayed about this morning, Psalm 133. He was asked to produce this video by uh, Wendell Kimbrough and Sandra McCracken uh, for a song that they released, and that was picked up by Christianity Today and actually was featured on their website this week, which was, which was crazy. So uh, on Christianity Today, you've got uh, several families from our church. It was in my parents-in-law's backyard, and it's this song about the unity of the body of Christ uh, and the unity of believers. It was, it was so beautiful. One of the great benefits of being made the workmanship of God or the masterpiece of God is really a better word, is that you get included in a community of masterpieces uh, that display the Lord's glory together. And the second half of Ephesians 2 is really about that. So I'm going to talk about that next week. One of the great benefits is all that God does for us in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, is he doesn't just do it for you by yourself, which would be amazing if that was all it was. I mean, truly. But he actually gives you a community of people who are also saved by grace to live with. And that is part of the joy that the Lord gives us. Uh, there was a, an article I read this week in uh, a magazine, an online magazine called Refinery 29. It's not a Christian publication. It sounds like it could be, but it's not. Um, it's, the title of the article was featured on Apple News, and it's, the title was, Is That All There Is? Why Burnout is a Broken Promise. Is That All There Is? And they go through one by one interviewing different people. Uh, they do tons of surveys. And they find that there's a problem, obviously, with burnout in America right now, which has led to what we call the Great Resignation, where tons of people simultaneously are questioning, do I really want to do what I've been doing with my life anymore? And you have mass exodus from different companies, industries, and our whole economy is being reshaped around people really trying to get a sense of, is that all there is? Is there anything more to life? Is is work a broken promise? And I found this to be fascinating because it's written not by Christians, it's written by the world. And basically what they're saying is one by one, particularly millennials, are beginning to, to deeply question really the meaning of life being wrapped up in work, being wrapped up in success and achievement. And some of the things that I hope you've heard in church over time, now the world is beginning to question the, the value of, of work as an end in itself. What is the purpose of work? What is the purpose of calling? Why are you here? People who are working to try to find a sense of purpose are not finding purpose in their work. People who are working 
to make something of themselves are not finding that they're making something of themselves. People who are working so that they will be satisfied with life are not satisfied with life. And so what are they doing? They're changing everything. They're moving everywhere. They're, they're changing industries. They're, they're reshaping to have le- more free time and, and, le- and less structure. And, and they're doing anything they can to answer this question right now. I would submit to you that the answer to burnout, it is not a simple answer, and I do not pretend, please, that in one sermon, if you're deeply unhappy and you've been struggling to find a sense of purpose in life and you're burned out, maybe it's even gotten you into a a mental health place where you're depressed. I'm not saying that this sermon is going to answer all of your problems in 30 minutes, okay? But I am saying this, that Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 will show you, it does show you, the purpose of your life. It does show you the way God views you. It does show you that you can work not to have a purpose, but that you can work because you already have a purpose. It does show you that you can work not that so that you can make something of yourself, but you can work because you are already something. You're already God's masterpiece. It gives you a crucial answer to the question of why am I so burned out? Why am I so unhappy? And by the end, we'll find that God has done something extraordinary, that he's made dead people not just alive, but he's made them alive and he's made them a work of art. And he's not just that, we'll get into it next week, that he's put that work of art on display in a community that's supposed to show the world the reality of Jesus. But we'll get started here at the beginning of verse 1. The first thing is that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead. That's the first point. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Trespasses signifies this idea. It's it's more of like a one-time individual event where really multiple times, but multiple individual times we, we trespass, we cross the boundary line that God has set for us. And as, since we're dead, we, that's just what we do before Christ. We trespass. Then we sin. Sin is more of a general term. It signifies more the state of humanity, that we are we're born in sin. We're natural-born sinners. And so there's this uh, this overall estate that we find ourselves before Christ where we, we don't just do individual acts of sin, but we, our lives are characterized by sin. So it's our trespasses and sins. It says we were following the world, the flesh, and the devil, essentially. Following the world, the flesh, and the devil. John, the Apostle John in 1 John 2.16 also talks about a trilogy of enemies against the human soul. And we have the world, the flesh, and the devil mentioned here. The world, it says, we followed the course of this world. Now, world here represents the cultural forces at work that have been corrupted by sin. Not everything in the world is evil. Not everything in the world is bad. But the, not everything in culture is bad. But there are many aspects of culture that have been corrupted by sin such as materialism, arrogance, rage, self-centeredness, lust, hatred, division, racism, injustice. 
Part of being dead in your trespasses and sins is that when there are these, these collective sins that have worn out a rut in the world, there are, there are individual acts of racism, and then there is corporate cultural racism. There is individual acts of anger, and then there is, there is rage that happens in societies, and there are these ruts that get worn through. And when you're, when you're following and you're dead in your trespasses and sins, those forces, you follow the course of this world very easily. The first enemy is the world. The second enemy is the devil. It calls, Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is talking about not demon possession per se, although the Bible certainly speaks of that, but it's talking about the presence of evil and Satan in the world to influence the world to our individual and our collective demise. The, the devil is at work in the world. He's partnering with the cultural forces that are in the world that are corrupted, and he is trying to, John 10, 10 tells you, steal, kill, and destroy you. Now, if you're not used to thinking about Satan or the devil, uh, C.S. Lewis writes about this in the Screwtape Letters. That is one of Satan's favorite strategies, that you would just act like he's not there and, and pretend that it's just God and good, and then everything else is this blur of maybe evil, I'm not sure. Actually, you do have an enemy who is committed to your demise, who would love to steal all the good things that God wants to give you in Christ. He's called the devil. Then the third enemy is the flesh. It says you're living in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Before Christ, internally you're corrupted so that you simply follow your impulses. You, you do. Like I was walking my dog this morning, and I, I was early. I mean, he woke up early and needed to go outside. So I'm walking him super early, and he sees a rabbit. And I know what's about to happen, and he just goes after the rabbit. You know, I had him on the leash. If not for the leash, the dog goes after the rabbit. Well, honestly, me, in my life, in my experience before Christ, that's pretty much how I lived. If I wanted to do something, I did it. There wasn't much inhibition. I was, I was really searching for, for the purpose of life. Like, what is going to actually, what can I actually plug into me? What can I experience that will actually make me happy? And I willingly tried whatever I could to fit in there. And that is what it means to live in the passions of your flesh. So the world, the flesh, and the devil. And God says, because of all this, we are destined for wrath. We're destined for wrath. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We follow the world, the flesh, and the devil. And because of that, we're destined for wrath. What does that mean? Well, God is a holy God. And he cannot overlook sin. In fact, he has to, to live according to his own character. He is holy, he is righteous, and he is just. And he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. It is, it is not in his nature to be able to allow sin to go unpunished in you. And therefore, he must punish sin, which is he, pour, he will pour out his wrath on sin in, his, in an act of justice. And unless something happens to take us off that course, unless there is a branch in the timeline, then you will, you are destined for wrath. There must be an inflection point. There must be a branch. 
that intervenes in the timeline. There must be a miraculous work of grace that changes the course of your life. Otherwise, you're destined for wrath. And one question you need to ask yourself here is about what does it mean to be dead spiritually? How dead is dead? Last week I talked about the movie The Princess Bride, and I talked about the resurrection that Jesus wasn't mostly dead. He was dead. He was really dead. And you, before Christ, you were not mostly dead. You were not 99.9% dead with just enough good left in you that you could make the most profound decision of your lifetime to choose Christ. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were not mostly dead. You were dead. And what you need is you need more than a doctor. Once you flatline for more than a few seconds, nobody can save you except for Jesus. Nobody can save you. You need intervention. You need miraculous intervention from the outside to break into your timeline, to your life, and create that branch so that you go in a different direction. So learning who you are and learning the purpose of life, you got to start with the fact that before God without Christ, you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. But the news gets better from there. Verse 4 teaches us, 4 through 7, you were made alive in Jesus Christ. That's the second point. You were dead in your sins. You're now made alive in Jesus Christ. How does this happen? Well, first of all, it happens because of God's heart. Before we talk about what God did, let's talk about why did God do it. Why? God is not just holy and not just righteous and not just just. He is also, we learn here, rich in mercy and full of great love. The first two words of verse 4 are very famous words, but God. But God. Some have called this the but God of the gospel. This is the branch in the timeline. And the branch doesn't happen through your own self-effort. The branch happens because there's an intervention. God intervenes. Why? He intervenes because he is rich in mercy. Mercy is not getting something that you deserve. Mercy is not getting something that you deserve. He is rich in mercy. We deserve wrath, but God is merciful, and so we don't get it. And it says that he is rich in mercy. He's not a little bit merciful. He's not sometimes merciful. He's rich. He's lavish. He's extraordinarily kind in his mercy. It flows out of his heart. He also, we also learn about God's great love. He loves us with a great love. Why does God save us? Why does he show us his grace? Think about the father in the parable of the prodigal son. Why does the father wait? Why does he stand on the road longingly looking for the son to return? Far before he ever throws his arms around the son, what is going on in the heart of the father? What is going on is he loves he loves the son. He wants the son back. And so God created the gospel from his own heart. And so God takes action. He says, we were made alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. Now, what Paul and what God is asking you to do here is he's asking you to think about something, to consider something 
that you can't possibly fully understand. Okay, the Bible does this all the time. It tells us to think about things and believe things that we can't fully grasp and we won't fully grasp until glory. But still we're called, for, for this moment here, we're called to think about this reality of our union with Christ that is far surpassing our own human understanding, and yet we can still get a glimpse, we can get a little bit of it, and it's actually a keystone of the Christian life. Union with Christ. Paul says that you were united with Christ in his death. You were united with him so that when he died, you died. That you died with him on the cross. And then he says that you are united with Christ in his resurrection. That when he was raised from the dead, that's when the branch happened on your timeline. You are included in him, and so therefore you receive. The miracle is not random. The miracle is connected to the resurrection power of Christ so that the resurrection power of God makes dead people alive. And then it says you were seated with him. You are alive together with him in the heavenly realms. Colossians 3 talks about this as well. That somehow, even now, even though we're here in a parking lot, we're also in Christ as he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And there you find your identity as a Christian, union with Christ. That all that Christ has done is ours, and from God's perspective, and his perspective matters a lot. You are united with Christ. Whether or not you get it fully, and you won't until heaven, God understands it, and he understands that that reality, that you are dead, you, are, you died with him, you were raised with him, and now you're seated with him, is who you are. It is who you are. You have been made alive. As alive as Christ is, so are you. And the third aspect of this is, is God's heart and what God did, God's action, but God's grace this is a huge, huge point of the text, okay? It's mentioned three times in the span of four verses, verse 5, 7, and 8, which in the ancient Greek is like bolding, italicizing, underlining, blowing up to like 80-point font. We, Paul wants you to get grace. Grace is the theme, is a huge theme of this passage. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace takes mercy farther Mercy is like, I'm not going to punish you. Grace is, I'm not just not going to punish you. I'm going to give you a gift that is life transforming. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to overlook your sin. I'm going to wash them as white as snow. I'm going to consider the payment of Christ your payment for sin. What Martin Luther called this is the great exchange. And in the great exchange, what happens is this. It's not a fair trade for Jesus but on one side, Jesus gets our sin. He gets all of our trespasses and sins. He gets our deadness. And what do we get? We get forgiveness. We get life. We get righteousness in his name. We get life in the exchange. And this truth of the gospel, this core nugget of the gospel is what transformed Martin Luther's life and what has changed so many people's lives since then. John Newton was getting at this reality in his famous song, Amazing Grace. 
which flowed out of his own life story, he also went from dead to alive to masterpiece. So Newton, his story is that he was a slave trader. He traded human lives for profit. And when the grace of God broke in on him, what Newton understood was that he wasn't just forgiven for his sins, which were many, which were plaguing him. He also received a new righteousness. So that for him, a former slave trader, he went all the way, not just to forgiven, but to be loved, to be made righteous, to be made God's masterpiece. And so he started writing music about it, which is transcended the ages. Dead, alive masterpiece. Listen to where he is talking about having his sins forgiven. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. But as the verses go on, he begins to talk about the righteousness of Christ giving to him. He's not just forgiven, he's righteous. He says, the Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. In verse 7, the grace of God takes on even, even more, more distance and more hue. It says, so that in the coming ages, God has done all this so that he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is that the grace that you can know now is not even the grace that you can know in the future because there's future grace. There's more grace. There's more kindness that you're going to be able to walk into in this life and in the life to come. So we were dead and we are now made alive in Jesus Christ. And being made alive in Jesus Christ is one of the most important things that you can grab hold of in order to understand your purpose, your identity, why you are here, and how to be satisfied in life. The third point is you're not just, you weren't just dead and you're not just now alive, but you are now God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece, verses 8 through 10. That word workmanship comes from the Greek word poema, in verse, which is rendered in verse 10 for us. This is like God's greatest work of art, his magnum opus, it's the work of art that he wants to point everyone to and say, look what I have done. Look what my grace has accomplished in the life of every single believer in Jesus Christ. I think as a church, and this goes for all, the big C church, we as redeemed images of God do not understand, generally speaking, how much God loves us. We do not understand how proud God is of the work he has done and, and the work that is displayed in our lives. You do not know that when God looks at you, what he sees is a masterpiece. I was at a conference with a bunch of Presbyterians about 10 years ago, and the, uh, the speaker started. It was a, a PCA conference. The, the speaker started. He said, I'm going to say a word, and you tell me what you immediately come to mind. We're going to play word association. And he said, Human beings, and about a 1,000 people out of the 2,000 people all simultaneously yelled back, sinners. It was amazing. I think I said it too. It's like I've been trained, like, oh, sinners. Actually, 
Yes, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you are now alive in Jesus Christ, and you are now God's workmanship, so that when God looks at you, he doesn't say, sinner. He says, alive. He says, my workmanship, my daughter, my son, I love you. It's hard for us to receive that news because we have been told our whole lives that sin is the main component of our humanity when we're actually much more than just natural-born sinners if we're in Christ. We're, we're God's poema. We're his workmanship. C.S. Lewis from The Weight of Glory wrote this. He says, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. If you are in Christ, God has made you into an everlasting splendor. How does that happen? How do you get hold of this grace from God so that you can experience his life? How do you become God's masterpiece? Well, it is a free gift of God's grace. A free gift. Just like you would receive at your birthday party, it is a gift given to you that you don't deserve unless you're the dad and you actually paid for your own gift. This is a gift that that God gives you that you had nothing to do with that is, that is invaluable. And all you have to do is unwrap that gift. It costs the purchaser a great deal, but it's free to you. This gift is a free offer to everyone, to every human being. It is a free offer. Isaiah 55 says it beautifully in verses 1 through 3. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me and listen that you may live. And then in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, if you really are having a hard time believing that it's free, the Apostle John puts it this way. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come. God wants everyone to come who wants to be there. You receive this grace through faith. That's the way that you take hold of the gift. Like it's unwrapping the the package through faith. You receive this gift in Jesus Christ. Faith is the instrument by which it's like your hands taking the gift. All you have to do is believe in the gospel of grace. And this grace will be yours. You will have that branch on the timeline. And you will be in Christ, God's workmanship. You may say, how does this comport with what you taught on in the first week a little bit on the doctrine of election? The free gift of grace and the doctrine of election. Well, it is mysterious how this works out. I'm not going to lie to you. This is one of those things that God asks us to consider that we may not be able to fully understand. 
But one of the best explanations I've heard is that when you enter the gates of heaven on the outside, there is that verse I just read from Revelation 22, 17. Some translations render it as, whosoever will may come. Come, Jesus says. And you must make your own decision. You must make your own decision. If you do not make your own decision about Christ and embrace the free offer of the gospel, it will not be yours. You will not have it. You will not receive God's grace. You have to receive it. And so you walk through those gates that say, come all who are thirsty. And as you walk through the gates and you turn back and look at the gates from the other side, it says chosen from the foundations of the world. Chosen from the foundations of the world. The Lord is in it. The Lord is at work regenerating your heart so that you would embrace this good news of grace. But we, I want to state it emphatically, we are not fatalists. This free offer of the gospel is for you. You need to take hold of it. If you've never taken hold of it, I implore you to do so today. How do you live once you become God's masterpiece through grace? How do you live? Well, first of all, there's no boasting. No boasting. I mean, I got to say, like, man, there is nothing more awkward than a boasting Christian. I mean, seriously, like, it is like the most absurd way to live your life arrogantly as a Christian. It's an oxymoron. Like, you were dead, totally dead. No hope. God made you alive in Christ and made you his workmanship. The only thing you could possibly boast in is in the Lord and what he has done for you. There's no way. And I say this as someone who struggles with arrogance and struggles with boasting at times. I'm not saying, I mean, this is something that I also am saying to myself, okay? Like, it just doesn't make sense if we believe the gospel that we would be arrogant people. Before I became a parent myself, I was in China as a missionary for seven years, and I was in a meeting in someone's home, and I remember this moment between a father and a son. We were having a meeting, and the son, who was about 10 years old, came in with his sister, and they were over in the corner, and he started to brag to his sister about how smart, how much smarter he was than her. I mean, this happens in my family. I'm not, not throwing any stones. He's a 10-year-old kid. And the dad got up from the meeting and said, excuse me for just a second. He was very kind and not shaming at all. Uh, the dad's name was Brian. He said, he said, son, you are smart. There's no question. You have a, a great brain. How did, how did that become so for you? How did you become so smart? How did that work out? Because me and your mom didn't give that to you. You know what? That, that's a gift from God. And he's like, you know what, son? Actually, you're not just smart. You're also a good athlete. You've actually been given many gifts from God. Many gifts. But you didn't make yourself any of those things. Those are all gifts to you from God. He's like, so son, in this house, there's not going to be any bragging, no boasting. No boasting. Anything that you do, you should do it because God has loved you so much to make you the way that you are. You should live your life to show the world how great God is and not how great you are. I still remember that. It was, so, he, it was so kind and yet so the gospel right here in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We have not done anything to make ourselves God's workmanship, but instead we find ourselves to be humbly God's masterpieces. So what we're called to do as God's masterpieces, we're called to walk in good works. There are things because God's made you the way that you are Every single one of you 
uniquely represents the workmanship, the masterpiece of God, and therefore there are, there are things that God is calling you to do for his glory, not for your glory, but for his, that really only you can do. And so the rest of the Christian life is trying to figure out, how do I do that? How do I follow the Lord faithfully in these pre-planned works from God's perspective that God is calling us to walk in? And it's such a privilege to be able to follow the Lord in that way. Some of us have a hard time, though, understanding how God has made us a masterpiece. It's hard enough to embrace the theology that that's true, much less understand ourselves and how we're made compared to other people so that we could follow the Lord's path. And one opportunity I want to um, draw your attention to is something that Claire Hine brought to our church. It's called Unique. It's a, it's a ministry where you basically walk through a cohort together, and there's some material. It's written by a guy named Will Mancini, and it's a way to discover how God has uniquely made you for his glory so that you have greater clarity and can walk out in that calling. Now, right now, we as elders are trying to figure out, and only about 10 people have been through this so far at Trinity Park, and the, the, uh, the word back for, to us, the feedback has been excellent. And so we'd love to figure out a way to make this more broadly available. We're working on that. But I would just encourage you, if you want to talk to Claire about this, he's one of our elders, he would love to talk to you about it, and we'd love to have, figure out a way for you to be a part of this ministry. Because you are unique, and in this body of Christ, we need every person to be following in that path. Let's go back to the problem of burnout. Burnout asks the question, with regard to work in particular, is that all there really is? And the answer to that question is... Yes, if that's what you're talking about with just your job. It, yeah, that's it. That's it. If you're looking to your job or your career to satisfy your soul, God just gave you a gift. And if you're burned out because you were looking for something that your job could never give you, then it's a gift. Burnout is a gift. You've seen through it. Same could be said not just for work. Same could be said for marriage. If you're looking to marriage to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, it's not going to happen. Same can be said for parenting. If you're trying to be a super parent, trying to get in the Hall of Fame for parenting, sorry, it's not going to work out for you. You're not going to be happy at the end of that. Anything, pick anything. Pick vacations. Pick having enough structured free time. Pick having an unbelievable portfolio. Pick whatever you want. Ultimately, the answer is, is that all there is? Yes. That's the answer. If that's all all you're looking for to find satisfaction in life, or you're looking for a perfect conglomeration of all that. At the end of that, the answer is yes, that's all there is, but that's not all there is. Because there's one person that you can ask that question of and say, actually, you would look at him and say, you'd never ask the question, is that all there is? And that's Jesus Christ. If you look at Jesus, you keep on looking at him and you find the key, you find grace, you find that you're God's masterpiece, you find him transforming your life. And what happens is Jesus and the satisfaction he brings in your life will reorient the way that you view work and marriage and parenting and money and vacations and everything else. You can look at those things not so that you'll be somebody, but because you've already been made much of. You've been made God's masterpiece in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, the theology here, it really is the keystone. It really is. 
This is really your life if you're a Christian. And if we will plug it in at the center of our souls and really say, this is who I am, it will reorient the way that we interact with everything else in our stories. Let's pray. Lord God, I just pray for us as your gospel is so good. The news is so good. Part of us sometimes, I think, struggles to believe it could be as good as it is. And we, we've just been shamed by so many people for so long. We've been, um, we've been hurt by so many people who have been an authority over us that we, we have a hard time believing that you're, you're good, Lord. And we just want to get that out on the table, God. We want to say that, um, Lord, we, we sometimes struggle to, to lay hold of this. But God, I pray for every person here. I pray no matter what our story is, that we would see you as our good father. We would see you as the one who does not bring us shame, but brings us life. We'd see you as the one who embraces us and does not reject us. We'd see you as the one who has done everything for us to make much of us in Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray that every single person here today, if there's anyone that's never embraced the gospel, that they would do that today. And for all of us, that we would make this our story. This, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, this core of the gospel that we would live in light of what you've done for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the first Sundays of the month, uh, we take the Lord's Supper at Trinity Park. And uh, what is this, what is going on here? Well, we sang, Oh, Come to the Altar earlier and with oh, come to the altar, the idea is that you're invited to this table. This table is for you. But this table represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It represents what Christ did to save us as sinners from our sin. And so if for you, that's really not what you believe yet. I would just encourage you instead of, instead of you're not coming forward, actually, we don't have an altar, but instead of taking the elements that are going to be passed out, um, I would just say instead, just consider instead something far more important than the question of am I or am I not going to do this right now? Just consider Christ himself. Consider the free offer of grace and take hold of it. For the rest of us, as we're taking communion, why are we doing this? We're doing this because we believe in Jesus Christ. We say, this is my story. This is my life. And, and the only... If you're looking as an outsider in on it, you're like, what's the deal with that? Well, the, the power is through faith. The power is connecting spiritually to Christ. It's not in the wafer and the, the juice. But for those of us who do believe in Jesus, as we fill our hearts with the crucifixion and then ultimately the resurrection, we will be strengthened for the road ahead. I encourage you to take a second and listen to the song of preparation, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. You can stand if you'd like. Lord, I come and I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my I need you oh. 
sing, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Teach me. Teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you Jesus, Jesus, you're my hope and stay You're my hope and stay, Lord, I need Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, you're my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, I need you, oh God. on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup, he said, this cup, it's the new covenant, this is my blood poured out for you for the remission of sins. Every time you drink of it, you proclaim my death until I come again. Take and drink. Lord, for everyone here who's taken this today, Lord, I pray that they would know and they would be able to leave knowing that their sins are forgiven. That just as true as it is that we need you, it's even more true that you came for us and you saved us by grace. Lord God, thank you. We thank you for the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died.
活。